0: First of all, thank you Leanne, It was a bit of a rough act, tough act to follow. So, um, firstly, I just want to say thank you to a few people. Firstly, it's Clive for the opportunity. I think just preparing for this has been very educational and informative and helpful. Secondly, to um, Ruth and to Jefferson, who were kind of the sounding board uh, for the material that we went through at one stage. And lastly, to Timothy Keller, who wrote this book. I invited him to come, but he said he's busy or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> every good endeavor. So uh, if you are planning to go into work, or you've been in paid work, or you're no longer in paid work and you're doing other work, then you need to read this. I can sit down now. I think that's pretty, pretty much it, right? Um, highly recommend it. So i cover it a little bit later on as well. It just was very helpful in framing a whole bunch of things and addressing a whole heap of questions. So that was very good. Uh, In the brief that I got from Clive, it was basically to answer two questions. One is, apply your Christian principles at work, how do you do that, right, which I'll speak to, and which I believe his subtext was to pray for each other and learn from each other, which I think is great. So I would covet your prayers and hopefully you don't repeat my mistakes. Um, and then developments we should know about in the business that I'm in, which I don't think there'll be time to cover that, but if anyone's interested, I will briefly mention some of them at the end, and we can talk about them. A Couple of caveats, similar to Leanne's, I'm not an example, I'm not an expert, I mostly arrive with questions, not answers, and I'm not sure if I'll take 10 or 90 minutes to do this. Okay? So, <laughs> that's about it. Um, My apologies for the slightly weird font on the presentation. We didn't try this before. But there's basically um, a few things that I'll cover. The first is, as I said previously when we were announcing the talks (coughs) in the morning services, I'd like to cover a little bit about what work is for a Christian, what it should be, what the problems are. As part of that, I'll give you the kind of the squirmy background bit about me, which I'm not really comfortable talking about, but anyway. Um, What we'll then look at is in that context, what are the two ways that Christians address work? And why is one a better way than the other way? Which I think is helpful just kind of to frame how we should think about work. Um, Then lastly, a few things that just in preparing for this material I came across that I'll point you to, which you may find helpful, and then again um, some questions and answers. So um, a few things about kind of work and work background. As is obvious from the diagram, I'm not the kind of individual who had a very planned beginning to my career, if you will. Um, I finished school in 1978. I became a Christian. As with most 18-year-olds, I was completely confused. Um, And the church that I became a Christian on was actually quite a legalistic and moralistic church. Um, And that painted, that influenced me to some extent, which I'll cover a little bit later on. Um, I was a generalist largely, in terms of my attitude and the things I do, so I'm kind of a jack of a few trades and a master of none, which is apparent in my involvement here as well, as I'm sure you suspect. Um, There were three things I tried in 1979. Well, two I tried, one I considered. Two didn't pan out, so college was a train wreck, so we left that behind quite shortly. Um, uh, I also then tried doing sales for a few months, door-to-door late at night, don't recommend that, didn't work out and I considered the ministry but given the church I'd come from the ministry was a role that was undertaken by people that were only slightly below the Trinity so (laughs) so I thought hmm not gonna make that moving right along okay so um, which wasn't very helpful I then very strategically was I then basically because of conscription coming up had to fill nine months with work right and I made a very strategic, well-considered, careful decision in walking past the Barclays Recruitment Centre one day in Johannesburg, walked in and walked out with a job. So that was that sorted out. Um, That's how I ended up in banking. (laughs) Um, I I spent um, a period of time in banking, I went to the army, came out of the army, went back to the bank, ended up in IT, and then ended up in this thing called IT services. Um, which requires a little bit of explanation if you don't understand it. So IT, as you know, is kind of quite a big thing in the industry now, or in, in, in the world, in, the, in commerce generally. Uh, as an industry, it's about $1 trillion. About $500 billion is hardware and software. $500 billion is services. Services arose in the 80s and 90s because companies had bigger, bigger and bigger IT needs and bigger and bigger IT teams. Those teams... Managed to build up skills that were in high demand in the market. They left, they set up companies and sold their services back to the customers, which is how I ended up in IT services, right? And been there ever since. Um, I then moved into management consultancy and eventually into sales, which is largely what I'm doing now. So I was with a, um, as it says up there, I was with an Indian firm for about 10 years in the IT services world was with a uh, French and a UK firm, and I'm currently with a Russian-stroke European firm. We sell IT services. Basically, we have teams of people, about 10,500 of them in Europe, providing application development, looking after software for clients, and I manage their relationships with the banking sector in the UK. That's basically it. I'm not an executive, contrary to what some people were claiming whilst stood over here. (laughs) I'm what's called a senior account director, which basically is senior management, nothing more than that. I am not an officer in the organization, and I do not want to be. Um, One of the things I think that uh, is worth reflecting on right from the beginning, and I'll come back to this later on, is that one of the challenges I had, given the background as a Christian, in the kind of church that I became a Christian, was that I entered the workplace with a very moralistic view. Okay? So it was kind of... um, it was almost a separation of faith and work in the sense that the attitude I was coming with was uh, this is how life should be lived and it was more thinking about what people thought of me than thinking about what people thought of Christ. It was more law than grace. It was, and that was the context in the background. And I'll talk more about that later on, but that's kind of where I came from. Um, that always has some consequences and some of the consequences are that your priorities get turned upside down Consequently, um, a degree of can, discontent can easily settle in and it does affect relationships that you have within the workplace, which I'll come to later. Um, what I'd like to talk about very briefly and carry on with in terms of context is what is the truth about work for us, just so as we can step back and think about that. And the first thing is that, you know, as it says in Genesis, God made a wonderful creation. It was very good. He finished his work on the seventh day. He took man, he put him in the garden to make it. That was our purpose. That's what we were there for, was to work that garden. Okay, the emphasis on the word work. And as Keller puts it in his book, work is as much a basic human need as food, beauty, rest, friendship, prayer, and sexuality. It is not simply medicine, it is food for our soul. It's a very different view of work compared to what you would find out in the world. So um, we are made to work, you know, our God is a working God. That's what He was. That's part of His nature. We're, we are made in His image. It's essential for our well-being. It's part of God's plan for us. Um, it is our mandate to look after creation. You are going to be working for eternity, so it's probably a good idea to figure out how best to do that <laughs> and get used to the idea. Um, so I think that's very helpful from a context point of view. First of all, we are made to work. Secondly. The other element that's really important from work is that how you love God and man is a lot of that is through your work, right? Um, God's providence, which we often speak about in the rain that falls on the just and the unjust, one of the primary ways that he delivers his providence is through work. It's through people like Leanne, it's through doctors, it's through nurses, it's through healthcare, it's through teachers, it's through many of you folks sitting here. That's how providence gets delivered to the rest of mankind. So it's really important from, from that point of view to understand that that's part of what God is, that's part of how God operates. And the same would therefore apply from us, uh, for us, obviously. So it's, you know, our, our call to serve one another, a lot of that is done through work, right? A lot of the, um, the requirement and the call to love one another is done through work. All work in the way that Leanne was describing, and and we've heard from others, is God's work then in that sense, regardless of what it is, whether it's painting a wall or running a massive company. And I think it's just very helpful to bear that context in mind when we start thinking about work. Um, So it's core to who we are, and it's core to what we do, and it's core to how we glorify God. But we do obviously have a problem, and that is the influence of sin. Right, so when sin arrived, it unraveled creation, but it had a very profound effect on our work. And I think if you just think about it, then it's, we're, we've got this strange situation where if work goes well, it quickly becomes an idol. If work doesn't go well, it quickly becomes a, a, a fruitless drudge and a complete drain on you, right? And, and we tend to swing from one of those to extremes, if you will. Um, and that can be very, very difficult and very challenging. And it's, you know, like the writer to Ecclesiastes says, I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, all is vanity and the chasing after the wind. And that can be the feeling that sets in in terms of work. So that's just to set the context um, in terms of what work is very rapidly and what the problem is with work. And what I'd like to do then is to think about that from a business Point of view, um, and in terms of business, regardless of the issues that arise and the challenges that they are, if you boil them all down, they boil down to two: power and money. That's it, <laughs> right? Regardless of the, se- and we can describe. You know, when I was discussing this, this with um, Jefferson and and with um, Ruth, there was many scenarios we could think of and, and examples and questions and challenges. Is the right thing to do this in this situation? Is the right thing to do that in that situation? And so on. Um, but at the end of the day, it comes down to these two things. Um, C.S. Lewis writes a fascinating essay, which you can find on the Internet, uh, which is called The Inner Ring. And he describes a situation where in any organization there are two structures. There's the published hierarchical structure and there's the invisible structure. And the invisible structure is the one where there is an inner circle of people who are in the know, have the most influence, are called upon, and you know, it's Tony and me and I, it's not this team and that team. And it's that, that, that inner ring that people tend to try and gravitate to. Um, and as he puts it, of all the passions, the passion for the inner ring is most skillful at making a man who is not yet a very bad man do very bad things. And it's the appeal to be in that position of power and influence that causes people to then, and Christians, to then let things start sliding. So it's, a, it's, a, it's only about three pages longer. It's an excellent essay that he delivered to the, you can't see it on there, unfortunately, that he delivered to King's College in 1944. It was a lecture that he gave, so well worth reading. Um, the other one, obviously, is, is money and the influence of money and the bottom line. Keller talks about the fact that from a Christian point of view, the way to think about your business, if you're running a business, is that there needs to be multiple bottom lines, and identify the principles of what they are, and they are all inviolate. It's not just a case of, I won't let the the cash flow run into the negative, it's the case of these other bottom lines and other principles I have in place, I won't let them flow into the negative either. He talks about that, which is very helpful. there's a book called Anti-Fragile, which I haven't read. I've, I've looked at pieces of it, written by a guy called Nassim Talib, and he's got a fantastic quote in there, which is that the three most harmful addictions are heroin, carbohydrates, and a monthly salary. <laughs> very, very true. Right. Um, now, in, in that context, the consequences of that all speak for themselves, which I don't have to unpack for you. All I have to do is mention two phrases, 2008 Financial Services right, accountability went out the window, people did things which were completely criminal, um, the libel thing with Barclays and a number of the others, you know, once that, the moment that hit the news, uh, the people that were involved were running into systems and trying to delete records, et cetera, et cetera, it's, and it just spanned on and it affected everybody. And the outcome of that can be, can be pretty frightening. Um, and as I said, I don't have to, we don't have to unpack that. Um, So that's a very, very inadequate summary of what work is, what the problems are, and generally how it tends to affect business. Now, what I'd like to briefly talk about now is that there are two ways to approach that, broadly, from a work point of view. Before I do that, I'd like to describe three scenarios to you. Okay? And these are real. So these actually happen, they're real cases, for you to kind of think about. The first one is, and I'll read them out, you're one of three partners in a small, altruistic and successful investment firm. Your firm is asked to manage a new client's investments. It will be a very profitable contract if you accept. So the way a partnership works, as I'm sure you know, is that the three of you mutually, for, just to keep it simple, the three of you invest in a, in a company, you set it up, you employ staff, you have money coming in, part of it goes to pay the staff, part of it goes to your expenses. The profit left, you share equally between you. Okay. Your partners are in favor of this new contract that you're getting from this client but you aren't comfortable because the business that the client is in is questionable although entirely legal so questionable from a christian expensive perspective although still entirely legal so what do you do scenario 1 scenario 2 you're a graduate in a very small but in a very good but small marketing firm which specializes in fashion but only has one major client the core brand message for the products that the client sells is misleading. Your conscience really struggles with this and your attempts to change the thinking to adopt a different brand strategy have fallen on deaf ears. So it doesn't matter what the company is or the product is or the brand is. I'm mean, going to pick one, perfume. They all lie, right? <laughs> like cars, I was watching a car advert the other night, told me nothing about the car, told me how wonderful I'd be if I bought the car. I don't think I would, but etc. And she was very uncomfortable with that tried to talk to the client and the company to change it, and was getting nowhere. What do you do? Third one, you're approached by a colleague who's trying to win a large contract at a tobacco firm, as a Christian. He wants you to help win the deal by being positioned in a meeting as a designated project manager at the final presentation because their difficult key decision makers are from the same country as you. You will then be replaced as soon as the contract is signed. How do you respond? Now, this group here, I'd like you to break into little groups of threes and twos and fours. Scenario A, you've got two minutes, OK? And discuss. Scenario B, very convenient, this kind of three group thing. And scenario C. Is that all clear? OK, well, I'll give you two minutes. Go and carry on. What would you do? I'd like to think about kind of stepping back from all of that now, which is a, kind of a, you know, a, a rapid sprint for context and then three examples and how do you kind of think about them um, and the different perspectives and Christians then come from and then give you a bit of a personal account as well, given, the con- given what I said at the beginning. Um, often as Christians, the way we engage in the world is very dualistic. And by that I mean that faith and work are separated. Now there's the obvious way that that happens, which is with the closet Christian, right? keeps his faith completely to himself, says nothing about being a Christian, and just works. And if you ask somebody, you know, sitting next to him, do you know anyone's a Christian? He'd go kind of, no, etc. So that's the obvious one, the closet Christian. There's the moralist, however, who, would ar- who could arrive in a work environment and has a very legalistic, moralistic attitude to how he should engage with people. And these are all genuine Christians. Just to be clear, I, I know the second one quite well, so I um, <laughs> just want to get that out there. Um, but, he, but, he's very, um, but he's thinking more about law and grace. He's thinking about more what I do than what I, what I want to bring to these people. He's thinking more about my activity in this company as opposed to what is good for these people and what's good for this company. right? He's thinking about um, salt and light in a very limited way. The third one is the preacher, and the, and the reason the fourth you know, the fourth one just has dots is that you know there's about another thousand variations of these. I'm sure those are just the three I could think of. So, the third one is the preacher, the person who arrives. He's got the Bible verse on his desk. He's got John three sixteen as the three screensaver. He's got, um, you know, a reformed theological Assembly kind of commentary is piled up on it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But when the rubber hits the road on the decision, he goes with the flow. Okay. They're all very dualistic, i.e. they all make a distinction between work and faith. And they, they all have some common characteristics. The first is that they're about selfhood, they're not about servanthood. They're not about serving these people like Christ would, and being cri- an example in the aroma of Christ, to quote Paul in 2 Corinthians, they're about how am I presented and perceived in this company. Okay? Secondly, they all are prone to compromise eventually in some or other way, shape or form. And especially, you know, heat makes the closet crowded because they all eventually become the closet type under different situations because that kind of thin faith can't cope with the pressure that you find in the kind of scenarios I described to you, and they eventually all start being quiet about their faith and aligning with the company often. So, that's a very dualistic way of thinking about how my faith should be brought to my work. Okay, Make sense? Um, conversely, there's a far more holistic, I think um, Keller calls it integrationist, but holistic approach to your faith and your work, which is to integrate, to have a view which says, I am carrying out the creation mandate that we spoke about at the beginning. I'm carrying out the mandate to love God and love these people in this place. And I bear the burden of a Christian in this place doing that, right? Jeremiah 29, there's a fascinating few verses, so I'll just briefly read them to you. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, to the priests, to the prophets, all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So here's what God says to them. Thus says Jehovah, Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now remember, these are people who've had their families killed, their lives destroyed, their city taken, taken into captivity, and carted off to another city. So how do you respond? How do you? Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare. In its welfare you will find your welfare. I, I don't know if I was... Daniel or Joseph in that kind of situation if I would have easily been able to do that, as opposed to establishing an underground movement to dislodge the economy in which I'm active, right? It's a very, very different way of thinking. Now, if that's the case for that situation, how much more should that be the case for how we engage in our workplace? Um, this This is not about compromise, it's about recognizing that sin's very subtle and grace is very pervasive, right? And it's about being salt and light in that environment. And it's very hard, as the scenarios I painted out for you I'll make it clear. It's about, um, it's about thinking not only about the practice I'm undertaking and how I engage in this work environment, but also the purpose that this company is trying to achieve and how I influence that purpose to the good. Okay. Um, it's about not only about ethics, here's the right and the wrong thing to do, it's about wisdom. And those three scenarios give you a view of it takes wisdom and it takes wisdom from God to help you to make those decisions and to do the right things. And um, Keller puts it very cleverly, he says wisdom is knowing the right thing to do in those eighty percent of the situations in which moral clarity is missing. That's wisdom. Um, the obvious question is how? Not only how do I learn to move from pointer goody? Oh, good. How do I learn to move from one of those to one of those? But how does God work in moving us as people from being like that to being more like that? Just step back and ask, how does He do that? What does He do? Um, and God uses means. Okay. So, the cartoon on the left says, "Where you see one set of footprints is where I carried you." Christ that long groove is where I dragged you, kicking and screaming. <laughs> <laughs> um, the means God uses is he uses means of grace. Okay? So the old Puritan description of means of grace is obviously God's word and prayer and the sacraments, baptism, communion in church. So he uses means of grace, uses fellowship, uses believers. Um, the way that we got out of a very legalistic situation was very—it was a very tortuous extraction process—in <laughs> terms of the church I was converted in, um, and Sarah and I eventually intend, started attending a church called Emmanuel Baptist Church in Johannesburg. So just mark that in your head because I want to come back to it. In early 2000, uh, we were living up in Leeds, and I joined a startup. <laughs> this was my startup experience. Um, and for various reasons, we ended up... It was a company, it wasn't in banking, it was um, basically an e-commerce company for golf. And if you're talking about golf, you go and live in one of two places, Dallas or Florida. Orlando, that's it. Those are the kind of... The, so, we sold our house, we joined about six or seven other guys from the UK and South Africa, we went off to Dallas, we moved our children, we found schools, we found a church, we rented a house, we bought all the furniture across, and the dot-com bubble went pop. Oops, and that happened. Um, And I'll never forget the headlines that I saw after having been there for a while. Was we were in Dallas, living between Dallas and Fort Worth. And the headline one month was 19,000 IT people laid off. Um, So the situation we found ourselves in was the company basically ran out of funding. We got no salary. I applied for, I think, between 80 and 100 jobs, and I got one telephone interview. Um, we, uh, and obviously, we were in a situation where we were living off the savings from the house in the UK. Okay. Um, I think God tried to tell me something, because I applied for four jobs in the UK, and I got two job offers. <laughs> so, now, this happened in a time when we didn't want to come back to the UK. We wanted to stay <laughs> in Dallas, Texas. The, the, the interesting thing was that... Um, I'll come back to that. What then... No, I'll come back to that. So, so what then happened was we got back here. I was basically out of work for about a year. So that gave me a strong taste for what the value of work is. Um, and we came back here, we got re-established, I found... I joined a company, lasted a few months, they went down, which is ironic because they were an American company. so very funny. Um, so God has a sense of humour while he's dragging you through a bush. <laughs> um, and uh, we, I, I went through a period with the Indian company I was with where I was under, as those other characteristics I described earlier on. There was a lot of frustration, there was a lot of um, disappointment, there was a lot of not knowing which way to go, etc., etc. But in all three of those situations, the important bit was this thing on the right. Was Emmanuel Baptist while we were coming out of legalism. Was Lakeside Presbyterian Church, in the situation in Dallas, and was Ulot while I was going through that difficult patch. God cared for us every single time. The experience in Dallas was financially and career-wise the worst possible move on the planet, and it was the best thing that ever happened to us. We absolutely loved it. Um, I think that you know that, that kind of that that little picture at the top there was very, very true in a number of situations. But that's how God takes us, and that's not just me. When I look at Mike's situation a few weeks ago, which he described, that was his furrow he was being dragged through, it's called cancer, right? When I look at friends in South Africa, God does the same thing, and that's how he moves you, or moves you towards being more holistic in your attitude and work, and less dualistic. That's kind of the pattern that I see, and that's partially what we've experienced. and that also has consequences. And I'm not saying this is true of me. This is kind of, you know, it's a journey we're all on. But, but you start to see things change in friends and colleagues and others as well, in terms of going through that process and through that experience. And, and that is that the priorities start to change. So it's less about, you're less consumed with my career and what I'm going to do to progress in my career and earn money and so on and so forth. You're more consumed about what does it mean to be Christ in this place and you know, you don't have the headspace to do both things anyway, so this one kind of tends to occupy your time. Um, dealing with losing money, dealing with um, issues like uh, you know, failure, frustration in your work, etc. as you get oriented away from a dualistic mindset to a and holistic mindset, becomes a very, very, a very different way of engaging with those problems. And where you're coming from, from a spiritual point of view, is very, very different. Um, so uh, yeah, I think, I think that's, that covers one of the scenarios. Um, we don't have time to hear what everyone thought on them. Well, I'd love to. So I'll tell you what happened, and then we'll have a show of hands as to whether what happened is what you all thought they should have done. Is that fair? Is that, okay, so this one, um, this first one, partner, firms, company comes to them for investment, not entirely happy. What he decided to do was, he said, I will support you in winning the business. I will help you manage the client to get the best out of their funds and their investments. When the profits flow through, the allocation of profit from this client, I don't want any of. The rest of the partners can keep that. So that's the decision he made. Raise your hand if you were kind of in the same ballpark. Oh, good, Ruth. So, the second one, um, she got to the end of the road. Still very good relationships in the company. Not much else she could do. She resigned. Um, Purely because of this issue, no other issue. Started doing her own work as an independent consultant. A couple of people started to join her, and she's got her own little firm, doing work and being able to work more effectively with clients. So her decision was she quit. How many people were... Wow, excellent. Okay, this one's going to be interesting because this was me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I tried to mask it, but I don't know if I got away with it. So um, uh, yeah, so the colleague approached me, uh, the, and really, he, so it was you know a firm in an industry I, frankly. From my point of view, and this is a personal perspective, I, I, you know, I don't know how many people share this, but the bat tobacco industry, the sooner it goes out of business and somebody takes it behind a shed and shoots it in the head, the better. But that's just my point of view. So, um, the, so one, I wasn't happy with that. Two, um, the second, so he was asking me to help him in that context. He was asking me to lie for him. Because so he was asking me to say in front of the client, and it wasn't a project manager, it was an account manager, but anyway. He was asking me to say, yes, I will be the account manager for you, I'll look after the work we do for you, but that is not the case. So those are the two things. But he was actually asking for a third thing. He was asking for help. So the decision I reached was I said, look, I'm not going to lie for you because you know where I come from. It's not going to happen, number one. Number two, tobacco client, I'm not prepared to go there. But tell me about the people that you're talking to, the clients you're engaging with, Tell me their names, because I can tell from their names what they're, 1 99% certain, what kind of culture and environment from South Africa come from, and I'll give you some coaching and guidance to help you through the process to um, at least try and be successful in the game. So that's the decision I reached there. How many were close to... Oh, wonderful, yes, good. <laughs> um, so it's just, now, if you think about kind of dualistic mindset, faith, work, separate, etc., and tackling those problems and a more holistic kind of approach, I'm not saying they were the right answers, and think about those problems, then those, you know, kind of Jack on this side and Jill on this side, will probably do quite different things in each scenario. Okay. Finally, uh, where to go for help. So, um, the book is actually excellent. I spoke to Alison. She has ordered a few copies. Talk to her. You can't borrow mine. I'm going to try and get my family to read it. After that, you can borrow it. Uh, but it's available on Amazon, um, in paperback and hardback. The second thing that's been enormously helpful is um, <coughs> myself and, and Jefferson, and to some extent Ruth in the past as well, but Jefferson and I, over the last kind of a year, have every few months just got together for coffee, uh, wherever in London or basin wherever, just to talk about work, challenges, issues, etc., and that has had a number of benefits. One is... We are able to pray for each other two is there's the degree of mutual accountability three is there's natural opportunities that arise might be able to help each other four is there's help and support so you know i'm trying to get this talk to this guy about gospel things uh, i'm trying to get him to do this can we perhaps both go to this lunchtime event in london blah, blah, blah. so it's been enormously helpful just to do that on a pure one-to-one basis and it makes a big difference doing that now the the book of Kellers, didn't come out in an ivory tower. At um, Redeemer Presbyterian in New York, they have, I keep forgetting, I keep losing track of the number, I don't know if it's 5,000 or 10,000 people every Sunday in church. They have three t- t- congregations. So they've got a large pe- body of people to work with and obviously work's a big deal in New York. So what they did was they established an organization called the Center for Faith and Work, CFW. They called a the lady who had run was a CEO of four different companies, one of which was a total dismal failure, and she had to lay off a whole bunch of people, three of which were very, very successful, and asked her to run CFW. And what CFW does is it's established papers, presentations, discussions, publications, but also creates uh, loose communities of people in the same industry. So I listened to her talk of people in banking. They had 400 people in the room they meet once every couple of months and they have a discussion on the stage about I mean this situation what do I do use the advice I've had etc must be enormously helpful to them right and you can imagine for somebody new coming out of uni trying to break into that sector and find a job as a christian how beneficial that will be you know don't go to this company go to that company yes i can help you here no i can't help you there etc now we can't do that but we can do it on a kind of a jefferson and marx scale right so if you're going into education, or you've been in education, or you want to be in education, or you, you, know, you have a history of education, raise your hand. Raise your hand. If you're an educationist, I think is the right term. Look around. Ask a couple of people, have two coffee meetings, that's all I'm asking you to do. Have two coffee meetings, over the next few months, and then decide how you want to proceed. And I promise you something will come of it. The same for people in medicine, who has been, is, will, or will go into medicine of, in some kind. Same situation, five or so people. Just, just getting together and talking is enormously beneficial. And CFW is a superb example. Um, my details on this presentation, I can give them to you later, but there's also a list of this presentation I can ma- email to you, or I'll tell you where you can find it on the web. But there's also a list of references that I've got or links I've got for... Talks and discussions you can listen to or watch online about work and Christians in work, etc. Um, different communities and organizations, as well as different books and articles. So I'll make that available to anybody who wants it. Um, some of them are very good. I'm done, I think. Clive. Graham's ready to run, so a question. There we go, good. I think actually it's a good idea to try and connect people up who are in different areas like health and social care, business, teaching, and we ought to probably have a go at doing that. Okay. There we are, we've got to run back up there. John, middle of the front row of the maroon. Thank you, Mark. Have you got any practical tips for how we can get out of the um, duality into the holistic Thing. way of, Yeah. You know, behaving? Thinking? Um, <coughs> um, yeah, so there's a, in the book is a list of stuff that he actually mentions. So, buy the book, John. Um, <laughs> read it. Um, I, I'd say there's a few things. One is, um, One is you have to think of being, obviously, an effective witness uh, within the environment you're in. Um, and, and the usual basic lessons apply of, you know, hi, how was your weekend, what did you do? You're going to get the answer question back. You know how to answer it. And doubtless, go, you go to church, and things will happen from there. I, I think the second is to either get involved in or look for areas where companies are altruistic in their endeavors and their activities. And either support those or initiate them, um, so there 's a Christian charity up in Leeds that we 've supported you know we, we were c- because we lived up there for a while, and i 've've on a couple of occasions tried to get companies involved and support those. so I think that 's the second thing because it helps you to think differently. Um, the second is the third is raise your and this one has to be done wisely, but raise your hand and question. Whether it's right to engage with certain clients. Uh, You and I come from a similar context, so this can be. The first time I did this was not very wise. I sent the CEO an email and said, Listen, I believe we're doing work for British American Tobacco. Is that really a good good idea? Now, I knew him, fortunately. It wasn't kind of a, you know. (laughs) um, But I got a very short shrift answer, which is business is business, right? Um, but, But I think it's fair to raise the question in people's minds as to. How can we change the way we think about engaging with things? And then lastly, the other thing I found very helpful was to think about staff um, and think about teams and think about how, because you know what businesses can be like, which is they can be ruthless, and frankly, they're just an asset to be used and disposed of, or they can be an asset to be utilized and cultivated and grown and mentored and so on, and to try and get involved in, from an HR perspective on kind of, mentoring and cultivating and looking after people. So those are just some of the ideas. And if you do put yourself in that position, it just starts to help to change your priorities and the way you think about what you're going to focus on in the company. I don't know if that helps. John, and then Lizzie. Graham got to run. (laughs) Thank you, Mark. If I understood you rightly, you seem to imply that there were just two drivers in, in, in work in the secular world, anyway. In business. M- money and power. I was being simplistic, but oh. from, my, from my, in terms of where the issues arise from, if you try and boil it all down, typically you're going to end up with those two buckets. Yeah. I mean, I would add a third in, in that um, there's an end product. And the most satisfying, I mean, I found personally, and and I would, thought it's true in many cases, you know, to have a, a good end product such as a successful student at school or a, a patient who's been made better or a good product from a factory is, is as powerful as, as money and power. Yeah. Uh, yes, I would agree. So from a business point of view... Um, uh, so, the point around the money and the power was painting out the, n- the, the, the the problems with work in the business context and how they manifest themselves, in that that becomes the obsession. So, I wasn't saying that's a good thing, I was saying that just, this is how it is. Um, and for the majority of businesses, product is a means to an end, and it's a means to a, to a bottom line, to profit, right? Now, um, there's not... I'd say the minority think about have altruistic motives in terms of the products that they create. There are some that do. I, <coughs> met, I met a bank today that does, and one of their core principles is do no harm, right, which makes it refresh and change. Um, so yes, I, I agree with you. Uh, but that's where I was coming from. Liz. Hi, thanks Mark. Um, it's been really interesting hearing about your kind of journey from seeing work and seeing work differently. Um, I was just wondering if you could rewind back to starting your career and what kind of advice you might give to someone just starting out, like me. (laughs) That's a very good question. Um, So, if I think um, about what what I would do differently, um, the first things that, that come to mind is I would definitely look for a Christian mentor in the industry in which I'm interested in getting into. Um, a strong one. I think having that will save you a whole heap of pain, right, go further down the road. Um, so I think, that's, I think that's really important. And the thing I mentioned about peop- getting together with people in the same field could be a good route toward that. Um, I'd say that's the one thing. The other thing, obviously, is which you are, is you need the support of a strong church family to help you through it challenges you're going to face, because there are going to be challenges. Um, So kind of off the cuff, those are the first two things that come to mind, I think.
1: This is um, probably a very naive question, but it's it's something that bothers me actually very often. I'm hoping for a bit of clarity. I think we've all been in situations where uh, we're, we're giving it, let's say, 110% we're working very hard we're going above and beyond and we're worrying about you know providing for ourselves and for And for our family and we take pride in it and pride in doing things well, but this I mean Do I don't know if I mean chapter Luke chapter 12? Hmm. um, You know uh, verse uh, uh, verse 23, life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. And I think about this very often because sometimes I, I, you know, I, I find myself in a situation where I'm just you know, really working because I want to make it and this and that. And I'm thinking, am I being true to God oh. in doing all of this? And so any clarity you have for me uh, <laughs> is welcome.
0: An age-old question. I don't, don't know if I have an answer to it, But um, a couple of things come to mind. The one is, um, obviously, uh, from, there's two things there. So when Jefferson, Ruth, and I were talking, some of the questions we thought about putting up instead of the scenarios were things like, is ambition right? Um, is striving for success right? And the answer to those questions is, it depends. On what the motive is and what the engine is behind it. Um, from a scriptural point of view, obviously this passage is like, do everything you do to the glory of God, right? Um, you know, pursue excellence in everything that you do, etc. I think it comes down to, um, to, and for, from a personal point of view, it would help me make the distinction, is this kind of dualistic versus holistic thing, which I've just scratched the surface of, and he does far more justification to. If, if you're if you're if you're kind of trying to separate work and faith, and you're trying to think about I need to I need to progress in my career, in this area, and you're decoupling that from the why you're doing it and what it is you're trying to achieve, you're going to run into trouble, and you're going to end up with a situation where you're going to slide one way or the other. If you're thinking about I'm the the, the progress in my career, is not just associated with me directly trying to perform that, but it's associated with the fact that I'm doing, uh, my intent is actually to do good for the company and to be salt and light in this environment. And it's almost a secondary thing, and I think that's a far healthier way to be. And that's probably a good way to think about it. And then if you look at at Daniel um, and those kinds of examples, then I think you've got some good biblical patterns there that we can follow. I don't know if that helps.
1: Oh, oh, Jefferson.
0: Right. Uh-oh. <laughs> like, may I, may I, well, I just wanted, in, in, So, just thinking about some of the things you said. Do you think they should have a bearing on if people are thinking about or uh, um, applying for jobs or look, looking at what job to do? Um, do you think the things you said tonight should have influenced that? Can you unpack that question a bit? For yeah. Us? So, uh, um, um, d- what I'm, what, um, what I'm trying to think about is. Um, um, if I'm if I'm someone who's thinking about uh, what career to go into or or whether to apply for a job at a particular company or something like that, um, do you th- how maybe ha- do you think and how do you think some of the things that you've mentioned tonight about um, being h- holistic in our approach should mm. should they um, should they influence the types of companies to go after or whether yeah, to apply? Thank, to, you. That's thank, what you. I mean. thank you. Okay, got it. So uh, yeah, absolutely. So I. Uh, I think two things come to mind. One is, uh, kind of crudely put, I think it's wrong for a Christian to work for a company that produces pornography. Right. So there's the fundamentals (laughs) of... And I think you need to think very carefully about the, the industry and what the purpose of the firm is, and it's worth asking those questions about that firm, number one. Number two, I would also say that if you're going to be joining a company that is going to relocate you, your first priority is to find a good church. And from a personal point of view, especially if you've got a young family, that's just number one. So, you know, fortunately God kind of kept that uppermost in our minds in all of our travels and we were very keen to make sure that we ensured that we found a good home church we could be part of. because unless you've got that supporting infrastructure, like I said in all the three examples, unless you've got that support system around you, God's family around you, holding you accountable, coaching you, et cetera, et cetera, in ways, direct and indirect, um, it's, you're going you're to really struggle um, when tough times come and tough times will come. I think those are the first, just off the gut, first two things. Well, I think we'll uh, have to stop there, but thank you very much indeed, Mark. That was very helpful. My apologies for the qualities of the slides.